I just walked up here with my bulletin, bulletin in hand and uh, wanted to return that. Good morning again. It is wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. I say that with deep meaning because I know that when we gather together as family, we can talk. Amen? And what we talk about is very important as it is the word of God. And we endeavor to not speak without first praying and asking, inviting the presence of God to be with us. So why don't you bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you this morning for the wonderful gift of life that you've given to us. What is man, as David contemplated in the book of Psalms, chapter 8, that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. You've made him a little bit lower than the angels, but yet you've given him dominion over your kingdom. We have lost that, and we are here in this earth at this time, asking you to speak to our hearts so that we may regain that which we have lost. I pray more than anything else, Lord, that you may help us to understand that there is a source that will supply all of our needs, a place that we can go to seek refuge And that is in your presence, we come to you now, uh, trusting in your word and trusting in your promises. Please speak to us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have been praying a lot. And I want to first say that prayer has changed my life. And I hope that you've been praying too. The last time I, I spoke to you, I told you that I have been spending time praying for you personally. And that has also changed my life. And I invite you to do the same. Every day around the world, approximately 353,000 miracles take place. That is, another way to put it, when calculated, approximately 255 miracles per minute. Miracles still happen. Now, you might be wondering what these miracles are, so let's talk about the details. Miracles that cause mothers and fathers to smile as they welcome a newborn child into their home and into their lives. Life itself is a miracle. When babies are born, we celebrate, because life begins for someone. And so yes, there are 353,000 babies that are born every single day. In fact, by the time I finish this sermon, 255 babies will be born each minute of my sermon. That's a miracle. At one point, you were a baby. At one point, I was a baby. And it baffles my mind that at the age one, below one, up until the age two, we are all cute. But once we get to the terrible twos, cute falls along the wayside. And it would feel weird if someone walked up to you this morning on this Sabbath day and say, you know what, you look very cute. It would be a little bit weird. In fact, it might be creepy. Life is a miracle. We celebrate life. We enjoy it. We're happy when we have life. And when life is lost, we are sad. Aren't we? There are deaths that take place too, but you don't need the numbers. I want you to celebrate with me the life that begins. I read an interesting article about a woman named Priscilla Dunstan who, after becoming a mother, studied her baby to such an extent that she memorized each cry for help. She memorized each cry. Her child would cry incessantly, And cries are hard to ignore, especially from others. She stated that she listened carefully and identified five distinct sounds that babies make when they cry. 
that identify one or another basic need that they have. Very interesting. She was also on the Oprah show. Not that I watched the Oprah show, just want to let you know that. Nonetheless, she identified these five sounds. She traveled the world, examined cultures, examined people, and identified that these were universal cries. And so she began teaching mothers how to identify what sounds a baby is making when they cry. Very interesting. I don't know if it's true. I don't even have a child to test it out. There was a specific response to pain. When a baby is griping, when a baby is having gastric pains, the baby would cry and there would be a distinct sound. There would be a cry for hunger. When the child is hungry, the child would cry and then there would be a different sound she identified. Another cry for rest, in need of sleep, the baby would cry and, it would make a diff- and the baby would make a different sound. Or if there was any other discomfort, there would be a different sound. She identified five. These are the sounds. I will not try to pronounce them. Otherwise, I would sound like a baby to you. And at this point in the sermon, I would like to move on. If you want to try to pronounce them, go ahead. We don't have a lot of time. The sounds would identify hunger, sleep, uh, uh, gastric pains, uh, lower gastric pains, and then when a baby is uncomfortable. These are the cries. She was very interested. She actually is from Australia, and she traveled to the U.S. to teach mothers to identify what their babies are, are saying. And so they've been talking about our babies communicating with us when they cry. Of course. And if a child is crying, it's very hard to ignore the cry of a baby. In fact, we get uncomfortable when a baby begins to cry. And the mother jumps to her feet to meet the need of that child the moment the baby cries. If you're a mother, you understand what I'm saying. Just like a mother can identify the cry of a baby, God can identify the cry of his children. God can identify the needs of his children. There are ways that we cry. One way that we cry is to pray when things affect us. And there are different prayers that we pray whenever we're in need. Aren't there? And so, life hits us hard. A baby is born, but there are years ahead of that child that might include some difficulty. The moment the child is born, there is one familiar thing with every single child around the world, and that is that baby has needs, and someone needs to be there to help. A friend of mine just recently had his son, close friend. We've been very good friends for a very long time. We were working together in my local church in Philadelphia when I first became a Seventh-day Adventist and traveled to the U.S., and we became really close friends. He got married, and he had his son, Gabriel. We were on the phone, and I asked him the question, what is most important to you as a father, knowing that you now have a son? And he said, you know, the most important thing to me is for me to go to work and understand and realize that I'm not working for myself, but working for my child. And I thought... This child who does not pay the bills. This child who cries. This child who does not lift a finger in the house. You can't tell Gabriel to go rake the leaves. But nonetheless, he is happy working to meet the needs of his child. And I thought, my God, how happy are you to meet my needs? How happy are you to meet my needs? We all come from different walks of life. But nonetheless, we are all faced with a challenge. 
Because we do, not, we do not have all the answers to all of our questions, do we? We do not have all the resources. We do not have all the power. And one thing that is common, whether you be white, black, Chinese, Russian, whatever your ethnicity, wherever you are from, whatever your status in life, we all come together here. We all have needs. Your needs may be different from mine. Mine might be different from yours, but nonetheless, we all have needs. We all have needs. A man, a psychologist by the name of Meslow, created this chart, this formula for needs. You've probably heard of it, Meslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And he identified five needs. Number one, as adults, whoever we are, we have physical needs. That is, we need food, we need drink, we need shelter. What would the church be without potluck? It is true. Remove food, drink, and shelter from a man, and he will be anxious about his life. Anxiety sets in when those needs are not met. Physical safety. The need to feel safe in your home, at your job, in the world. Let this be threatened, and a man becomes anxious and unstable in his thinking and behavior. Safety is important. Love and belonging. The need to belong somewhere with someone. You need your family, your family needs you. And when you see other families getting along and knowing that your family is not going so well, a sense of sadness falls over you. Anxiety overtakes you. You need to belong. Self-esteem. The need to be valued. People want to feel important, that they add value to the world. Take this away, and again, anxiety steps in. Man becomes unsure of himself, and his surroundings. According to Maslow, the last one of these is self-actualization, the idea of development, achieving goals, becoming good at something, joyfulness, becoming what you were supposed to be, fulfillment, man's basic needs. I did some research and found out that recently someone added something else to this hierarchy of needs, and it goes something like this. They identify that one of the needs that man has today, modern man, is this thing called Wi-Fi. <laughs> Hierarchy of needs, added Wi-Fi. It's interesting to go to a, a home to visit someone, and before asking for water or food, you ask, what is the Wi-Fi password? Modern man has identified another need. It doesn't matter what life provides for us. The world around us, to be honest, is anxious, isn't it? The anxiety can be felt in the, like a putrid air in a dark room. The conversation on the news include the idea of fear, the violence that is being repeated, the storms that have been beating up separate parts of the world. And while all this is happening, we watch the news, sleep only to wake up, rush to get ready, rush to get to work, all the while trying to fulfill our basic needs. What if you were in prison? What if you couldn't work anymore? The family you loved could only visit when permitted. What if you couldn't go where you wanted to, when you wanted to? What if all you had around you were cold walls, sleeping on a cold floor, all the while being plagued by the thought that you are about to die? How would you respond? 
Would you have peace or would you have anxiety? Everything I just described to you were the experience of Paul as he wrote the book of Philippians. He was in a Roman prison when he wrote Philippians to the church, to the people in Philippi. Let's go to the book of Philippians chapter 4, our text this morning. Paul had all of his basic needs taken away, or most of them. And he's writing to the church in Philippi. And like a man who understood the meaning of life, Paul was encouraging them to not be anxious, but to be trusting. These circumstances fail to describe the true experience of the Apostle Paul. And while I do understand Maslow's theory, I believe that mankind has to look much higher than his basic needs. Mankind has to seek peace and solace in another place than in this world. For in this world, we will not find it. And if we do, it's not, it's not long-lasting, to say the least. When Paul wrote from his prison cell, he was detached and attached. Detached from the things of this world and attached to a loving God who was out of this world. Therefore, he could write. Philippians chapter 4, and we start in verse 6. The words of Paul to the church in Philippi. Be anxious for nothing. In a world of anxiety, the word to us is be anxious for how many things? Nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There is an outlet. There is a place for us to seek peace. And that outlet is God. And the peace of God, Paul goes on, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And we ought to say amen to that. Because if we did not have God in this world, man would be crazy. You don't believe me? We see it all the time. As pastors, sometimes we get the privilege, and indeed, I call it the privilege to visit lovely saints, beloved saints that are going through hard times. And sometimes as a pastor, you go to visit with the plan in mind to encourage someone. Whether it be in a hospital, they laying on their back, looking up into the ceiling, not having much to do but to wait, being treated. As pastors, we grab our Bible, we say a word of prayer, and we go in with the intention to encourage people. But I tell you that sometimes I go into these places and I walk out myself encouraged, even though I had a plan, because there was a saint who believed that God had the power to heal them. And not only that, a saint who believed that God had the power to take care of their needs, even though they might be flat on their backs. Paul was a prisoner, but he was content. How is that even possible? Because today we lose our phones and we become discontent. Today we lose some conveniences in life and we become discontent. But Paul was in prison. Paul goes on, verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, 
whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Verse 11, Paul goes on. Not that I speak in regard to what is the word? Need. For I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. That word abased means to be low in rank. It means to be humble. It means to be without position. It means to be without status. Paul says, I know how to do that. And today, modern man has no clue how to be humble. We do not. Many do not know what humility is. The moment they introduce themselves, they would tell you what they know and how much of it they know. And they would sometimes chastise you for your lack of knowledge. I remember when I was in college, a man came to visit one of our convocations. And I was outside speaking with another student, and he interrupted the conversation. And he said, young man, let me see your Bible. I said, well, why not? I gave him my Bible. He took my Bible from my hand, searched through its pages. As he went back and forth, he gave it back to me, and he said, you need to study your Bible more. I thought, I don't know this guy. How dare you? And so I asked, why do you say that? He said, well, I looked in your Bible and nothing is highlighted. And I thought, is that how you read your Bible? Just because it's highlighted. You know, that's just mankind in his thinking. We always want to put someone down to make ourselves look good. And sometimes we do that inside the church as well as outside the church. We say, I'm not like those people, so I'm in a better condition. I'm better off. The word means to be lower in rank. Paul understood what it means to be humble. No matter what the situation that he faced in life, he understood the importance of being abased and also abounding. Paul goes on, everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. There are two basic places where man suffers, two extremes. Let him have nothing without God, and he suffers. Let him have everything without God, and he still suffers. For his abundance can become the means by which he changes and transforms instead of being a kind, loving person, a cold and callous, selfish and mean. Money does buy fancy cars, nice houses, wonderful vacation spots, but it sure does not buy happiness. In answer to a question, Clarence McCartney said, the question was, what is happiness? He responded, it is not found in pleasure. Lord Byron lived such a life if anyone did. He wrote, the worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. Happiness is not found in money. Jay Gould, the American millionaire, had plenty of that. When he, dying, when he was dying, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. It's not found in position and fame. Lord Beaconsfield enjoy more than his share of both. But he wrote, youth is a mistake. Manhood, a struggle. 
and old age a regret. It's not found in military glory. Alexander the Great conquered the known world in his day. Having done so, he wept in his tent because he said, there are no more worlds to conquer. Happiness is not found in things. It is found in God. Why? Because life without Christ makes man miserable. For while all things can be overwhelming without Christ, with Christ we can do all things. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We ought to say amen to that. We often quote this verse out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But Paul is talking about those things that are necessary to human life. Those needs that we go through. Paul was talking to a loving church. Paul was communicating that he was satisfied. He had Christ, and that's all he needed. Do you know the God you serve? Do you know his capabilities? When you observe your needs, do you think that he can supply that which is necessary? Do you believe that he answers you when you pray? A lady was on her knees praying in her home. Windows open. She was praying because there was no food in the cupboard. She was praying because she was hungry and she needed God to answer her prayers. So she knelt and she prayed a specific prayer. Lord, I need bread. And she prayed. While she was praying, a group of young boys from the community who were known as troublemakers were walking by and gazing through her window, saw this faithful lady praying on her knees. And they said, you know, we're going to answer this woman's prayer. They went to the store and bought the bread. But they wanted to prove to this woman that prayer did not work and that God did not exist. So they went to the store, bought the bread, and tossed it through the window, hitting the lady on the head. She was interrupted. She saw the bread in front of her, and the guys shouting, You are foolish. This is a waste of your time. God did not answer your prayer. We did. And she responded, The devil might have brought it, but God sent it. God is all-powerful. Satan has no power. Satan may be even the means by which God uses to deliver his products to his praying children. Then why do we not pray even more? Because God is waiting to answer your prayers. I have learned that in all things, God can provide. Philippians 4:19 and 20 is where our verse comes, is where we come together. Our text, Paul, reminds us here that God, God, my God, shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. That is a powerful verse. It is one of my favorite because it rings true. But there are a couple things that we ought to identify from this text. Because Paul understood that God is not in the, dis in the far distant. In the far distance, he identified God to be a personal being to him. 
For he said, my God, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. What are your needs this afternoon? What is it that, have you, that you've been praying for? Is there a desire to petition the throne of God? But who is this God that, call, that Paul calls his own under these circumstances? Well, one must understand that God is above all. He knows all. He possesses all. He made all things. He had said, I am God and there is none else. When the multitude was hungry, Jesus fed them. And though he started with two fishes and five loaves of bread, a multitude was fed in the end. When the Jews came and complained about Jesus not paying taxes, he said to Peter, go fishing. And the first fish, fish you catch, open its mouth and you'll find a coin. Use that to pay the taxes. What a mighty God we serve. A God who knows all the fish in the sea to such an extent that he can point the finger and say, the first one you catch, that one has a coin in its mouth. That is the God we serve. Moses stumbled and complained about his speech impediment, but God replied, who made man's mouth? When Elijah was in distress, running for his life in the midst of famine, God used a selfish bird, a raven, to feed him. The raven might have had some other plans that day, but God decided that this is the path they're going to take. When Abraham complained about not having the ability to bring life into the world by means of Isaac, God asked him to count the stars. And furthermore, when Abraham laughed, God spoke in Genesis 18:4, is anything too hard for the Lord? That is the question before us today. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What are your needs? Because a lot of times we look at our needs and we evaluate whether God has the power to satisfy or supply our needs. We come needy and we say, God, you are not rich enough. We come with our needs, our petition, whatever they may be, and we say, God, you cannot help me with this one. Well, you do not know the God you serve. Romans 8.32, Romans 8.32, the Bible tells us, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Your needs might be many, but his supplies are infinite. Your needs might be too much for you, but they can never be too much for God. Your needs might not make sense to any other human ear, but he understands our groaning. He translates our prayers, Romans 8, like a baby's cry. God knows exactly what you need. And it's interesting. Human beings, when we want to somehow hide our true need, our true selves, we kind of develop vague ways to communicate. But God, even in your vagueness, understands exactly what you need. And he meets that need. 
They say a good listener is someone who is able to identify the question that is not being asked. And when you pray, God is a good listener because he knows exactly what you need, but you're not asking for it. You may be asking for something else in disguise, but he knows. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, turn there with me, Psalms chapter 50, Psalms chapter 50, the Bible says this, God was having a dialogue, a conversation with his people. And they were thinking that they could bring stuff to God and that God needed their things. God wanted to respond in a very specific way. Verse 7 of Psalms chapter 50, the Bible says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take the bull from your house, nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills, they're mine also. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field, they are mine. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. I just skipped a couple pages. That sounds really beautiful. Verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is what? Mine and all its fullness. If I were hungry, God says, I would not tell you because I know where to find stuff to eat. And so we think that we do God a favor when we pray. No, we do ourselves a favor when we speak to him about what we need. And like my good friend and his child Gabriel, it makes him happy when we cry. Because of our need, and crying in the sense means prayer. You understand what I'm saying? And so this man is thinking about his child, and as he's working hard, he's saying, you know, I'm working because my child needs me. And we are here. God is saying, I'm working because my children need me, and we're saying, God, you do not love me. How could it be true? It's not true. Because he loves you. And that's why he works on your behalf and on mine. So is the need forgiveness? Is it forgiveness from sin? Or God is rich in mercy? Is the need more of him being good, being better in your person? Romans 2, 4, or despises the riches of God. Let's turn there. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. You're running out of time. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says this. Is it sin? That's a need that God can meet. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says this. Or do you despise, what is the next word? The riches of his goodness. God is rich in goodness. The riches of his goodness, 
God is also rich in forbearance. God is also rich in long-suffering. And Paul goes on, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You thought that your desire to be forgiven was from you? No. It is a rich God who gave you that privilege. And so we come, Lord, forgive me. It's his riches, not yours. We are bankrupt, we are poor, we are needy, but God provides that which we need. In the book of Ephesians, Paul also talks about God being rich in grace. Being rich in what? Grace. You know, grace is not only forgiveness for sin, but power to do right. And if God was not rich in those things, he could not meet your needs. But I want to tell you that he is rich. Don't live your life as a poor beggar because you do have a rich father. Is it love and belonging? He is rich in that too. Because God is the very definition of love. He is that. He is the definition of it. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And notice what Paul does. He says needs and riches. All we have are needs. God has riches. In other words, if God did not have riches, your needs could not be met. And we think sometimes that our needs deter us from approaching the throne of God. And God is saying, I have everything that you need. Please come. I wish I had a praying church. I wish we spoke to God more about the things that bothered us. I wish we cried to him more as children do when they're in, they're in need of their mothers and fathers. You know the story, a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside one day begging. He was blind, did not have the ability to see. He had a need, the need for sight, the need for resources. So he sat down begging every single day as he was begging on one particular day, he heard that Jesus was walking by. And so blind Bartimaeus realized that Jesus was in the audience and he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And as blind Bartimaeus was shouting, helpless, wanting to approach Jesus but couldn't see the way, in need of help, but someone told him, be quiet. Be quiet. Do not persist in shouting and disrupting the crowd. Blind Bartimaeus kept shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know, sometimes when people are praying about their needs, we tell them, don't pray anymore. God won't answer that prayer. Don't pray. It's useless. But you couldn't tell that to blind Bartimaeus because he had a need. And the need drove him to Jesus. No one could stop him. And so he kept shouting, blind, he kept shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This past summer, I was at camp meeting, and we did this in our youth tent. We were doing a breakout session, a small group with the youth. 
And I was leading them out in this study. Mark chapter 10 is the, is the chapter in verse 51 is where the story begins. And so here it is that, 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 that we're having this study. And as we are doing it, a young man had the brilliant idea to interrupt the entire tent. And so he started shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And someone else from another group said, be quiet. So in actuality, he was experiencing the very same thing that blind Bartimaeus was experiencing. And so we come pleading, asking God to help us. And someone says to us, do not pray anymore. God will not answer that prayer. I want to tell you that he will. And we need to stop praying for things. We need to start praying through things. Because often we pray for something and we leave it there when God is saying, please shout at me one more time. So here he was, blind Bartimaeus. He was shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And so people still kept telling him, hush, be quiet. He can't hear you. No need praying now. He's all the way in the distance. God is far from you. You've done too much in your life to pray. Why do you even bother going to church? It doesn't work. But he had a need, and no one would stop him. So he kept shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And in the distance, I just imagine Jesus stopping, heard the words, and turned and walked his way. And someone said, he heard you. He heard you. He's calling you because Jesus, by this point, Jesus says, who is that? Come. He calls you. Sometimes the very people who tell us not to pray are the very people who celebrate when we get answers to our prayers. And so he calls you. And I imagine blind Bartimaeus stumbling, getting up. The Bible says he left his coat and ran to Jesus. Have you ever had a prayer answered in such a pointed, powerful way? And as he came to the throne of God, as he knelt before Jesus, Jesus asked him the question, what would you want me to do for you? And he said, Jesus, that I may receive my sight. You know, I wish we prayed more. I wish we cried to God more. I wish like blind Bartimaeus, we, we shouted more. I wish we pressed God more. I wish that we call out to him even more than we've ever done before. I wonder how many unanswered prayers are left in yours and mine, my closet, waiting to be answered just because we stopped praying for it. There was a time in your experience, in your Christian experience, where maybe you have been shouting to Jesus. You're saying, no one is going to deter me from this Christian walk. No one is going to stop me from pressing the throne of God. But somewhere along the way, something happened, and you stopped praying. You stopped talking to God, because you subscribe to the belief that he cannot meet your needs, because he's not rich enough. 
I want to tell you this morning that God is waiting for you and I. As the Bible says, let us approach the throne boldly that we may find help in a time, what is the next word? Need. Oh, brothers and sisters, I wish we prayed more. I wish we brought our needs to Jesus more. Do not give up. Press the throne room of God. Because after all, that's where we want to be. Nowhere else. Many of you have been bearing burdens alone. This morning you came to church. You looked okay. Everything was fine. But you have burdens you're bearing. And in closing, I want to invite you to pray with me about those needs. This message would be useless if you did not approach the throne of God. I'm imploring you, please do. You may not be a blind Bartimaeus, but you may be something else. And Jesus is calling you. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to stand. Whatever the need is, we don't know, we don't even care to know. I want you to bring it to the throne of God, because He will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. And I have confidence that God can and will if we pray. So I invite you. I think that every time we do this, heaven stands with us. Whenever someone stands for Jesus, angels stand beside them. Because in that great conflict of belief, Satan is also standing beside you to prevent you from standing. Whatever the need is, God is willing, waiting, and longing to answer your needs, his riches. He's rich, and he can do that which you ask. Today I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to think what is the need that you have that God can meet today? Are you a believing saint, knowing that God can satisfy the longings of your heart? Today's the day to petition the throne, to leave those needs there and allow God to take care of them. Let us pray together. Father, all we can bring to you is our needy selves. And while other men may despise us and throw us aside simply because we are beggars, we know that you welcome us. And while other men may say it is useless to pray, we believe wholeheartedly that we are having a conversation with the God who understands us, who knows exactly what we need when we need it. We understand that we have a God who can identify every single cry that we make in our lives and in our experience. And today we come to this God believing, trusting that He can supply all our needs according to His riches and glory. We believe it. We claim it. And today we want to make a promise to you, Lord that we'll pray more about our needs and bring them before you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so kind to us. 
Thank you for listening to our prayers today. And Lord, we will be nothing without you. It is true. Please be with us now as we go through another week. As we go through the rest of this day, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. We're going to be doing our closing song now, so if you'll keep standing. The song number is 517. My faith looks up to thee.